Well, good morning. You can have a seat. And while you're taking your seat, you can open your Bibles to Judges chapter 14. Judges 14. It's on page 214 in, in my Bible. <laughs> Last week, Pastor Cody introduced us to the little I Am series here in Judges with Samson. And he talked about what happens when God's people lose sight of who he is and we stand in the place of God and insert ourselves as the I Am. And when we do that, we forget that who he is and we live like we are. And we can't have both, can we? Either he is or I am. And uh, we were in chapter 13, and he introduced us to Samson. So a little bit of recap. Samson was born to Mr. and Mrs. Manoah in the area of Zorah, and he was set apart from birth to be a Nazarite of God. And we saw in Numbers chapter 6 some of the stipulations that were around that. There was to be nothing from the vine, so no wine or grapes. He was not to cut his hair and no dead stuff. And, uh, and Cody explained the Nazarite vow like this. It's a definite no to certain things in order to say a definite yes to God. A definite no to certain things in order to say a definite yes to God. And I don't know about you, like, I mean, you got to kind of pretend like you don't know the rest of the story. But when we were in chapter 13 coming into this week, I was, I was anticipating this part of the narrative. I'm like, wow. A judge miraculously set apart from, from before birth for special use by God. Blessed. I'm excited. Will this be the greatest judge yet? Could this be the, the greatest judge ever? Could this be the deliverer that Israel needs? This guy's going to be good, right? Hmm. Let's see. Chapter 14, let's start here in verse 1. It said, And Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now let's get our, our little bit oriented here. Timnah, okay, so he goes down. Remember, uh, Samson was born and raised in this area near Zorah, which you can kind of see up on the map here in the middle. And Timnah would have been a Philistine city that was across this valley from Zorah that probably over the years as he grew up, Samson looked across and could see, and it was about four or five miles away. And this Philistine city was fortified, densely populated, and impressive, and it was located right on what should have been the front lines in this battleground between Israel and the Philistines. And, and notice it seems like the, uh, the borders here between the Philistines and Israel are, are pretty open because he just goes down to Timnah. And this phrase you see right at the start, went down, went down. We're going to see that theme here. We're going to see how literally and metaphorically this is the first step downward in a downward spiral that we have here in Samson's life. So Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came back up, and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. He saw, he caught his eye. Um, this is kind of like, uh, like basically what starts here, we kind of see with Samson's eyes. 
will end with his eyes at the end of this narrative. And so I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines and now get her for me as my wife. I think you have to read that kind of in a caveman voice. Like he's like, mm, Samson, wife, get her, get her. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people? that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, because she is right in my eyes. What's happening here? So Samson wants to, wants to go get this wife from the Philistines, and his, his parents jump in and they say, but isn't there someone amongst our people? What's, what's the problem? You remember last week, uh, uh, Pastor Cody, I think, referred to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, where, where God commands um, the Israelites, you shall not intermarry with these people giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. So what's the problem? The problem is is she's not part of the people of God and God has commanded you shall not take a wife from those people. She's not part of the covenant people. She didn't share the same faith or purpose that God's people did, but Samson says, she's right in my eyes. She's what I want, and we know it's all about me, right? And he fails to even to listen to wise counsel. Why? Because if you listen to wise counsel, that means I wouldn't get what I want, and we can't have that. And even notice he says how he's using right here. He says, uh, she is right in my eyes. Normally, right means uh, morally good just, honorable. Samson's using it to, to explain what he wants. He determines what's right. Go, get her. I'm Samson. And here's Samson pictures all of Israel who's doing what's right in their own eyes. And uh, instead of making war against the Philistines, he's marrying into them at this point. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. For she is right in my eyes. Verse 4, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. For he, the Lord, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. This is kind of a glimmer of hope here right in the beginning, right? We see Samson starting to spiral down. He's, he's disobeying. He's doing what's right in his eyes. But verse 4 kind of brings us back and it reminds us God is in control. God is sovereignly working out his plan even through the foolish, selfish, self-glorifying actions of men. And it says, and, and the Lord is seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. This is basically the Hebrew way of saying Yahweh was picking a fight. Um, I kind of uh, picture like a classroom setting, you know, and you're sitting there and wadding up this, this thing of paper and the, the big bully is sitting in the front of class and you're like, 
you throw it right at the back of his head, and then when he turns around, you point at the guy next to you. Okay, That's kind of what the Lord is doing here. He's picking this fight. Israel, based on what we see here at the end, where it says at that time the Philistines lorded over Israel, and what we see later on, they seem to have accepted their enslavement to the Philistines. They've even kind of become comfortable with that enslavement. And for them to be liberated, God needed to pick a fight. He needed to stir things up and separate these two people who weren't meant to be together. He had called his people to be set apart, to be distinct, and he needed to awaken Israel once again to the battle that was right in front of them. He remains faithful to his promises to his people. He will keep them distinct and deliver them in spite of Samson's and in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness. Um, Dale Davis, he's a really smart guy, he said this. He said, neither Samson's foolishness nor his stubbornness is going to prevent Yahweh from accomplishing his design. Yahweh can and will use the sinfulness or stupidity of his servants as camouflage for bringing his secret will to pass. God's at work, even in the midst of the mess. God's at work. So at that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Verse 5, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards at Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward them, roaring Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion into pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's so here, here somehow his father and his mother get separated. I don't know why. It doesn't tell us as they're, as they're going down to Timnah to get this wife for him. And a young lion comes out and it's roaring. Have you ever heard a lion roar? It's terrifying. Okay, And he hears a young lion roaring and the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. So far in Judges we've seen the spirit of the Lord kind of coming upon people. We've seen the spirit of the Lord clothing people here. The spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, and he tears this lion to pieces with his bare hands. Now, kind of a funny thing here, maybe not ha-ha funny, but kind of a funny thing is it says he tears the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. Is it, is it easy to tear a young goat apart with your bare hands? I don't know. I, I think it's just trying to tell us, like, it was really easy for him. Like, he just shreds this thing apart when the, when the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, he's, he's unstoppable. And then immediately, then what? He doesn't tell his, his father and a mother, and he goes back to, to finding this woman who's right in his eyes. Verse 8. After some days, he returned. Same idea there, the, the went down to. He returned to take her. Mm, Samson, woman, get her, take her. And then he turned aside. Interesting to see the, the carcass of the lion. And behold, look, there, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey, and he scraped it out into his hands, and he went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother, and he, and he, 
He gave some to them, and, and they ate, and he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the, from the carcass of the lion. Interesting here. So he, he, he goes back down to take his wife, and what's he do? He turns aside. One English translation actually renders this, and he took a detour, um, which is fascinating. I'm not, I'm not sure why. It doesn't tell us why he turned aside to this lion, but based on what we've seen so far of Samson and based on what we'll see later in the narrative, I think he's still thinking about this lion thing. And he's like, man, that was cool. I tore that thing apart. Man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go over here and check out once more what, what I, mm, Samson, did with my bear hands. And he turns aside and what? He sees. So this is interesting here. So he saw the carcass of the lion. He saw the, the honey. He took it. He ate it. He gave it to his parents and, and defiled them. And then he hid what he had done. This should sound familiar. He saw. He took. He ate. He gave he hid. This is the same pattern of sin we saw in Genesis with Adam and Eve who, who, who saw, who took, who ate, who gave, and who hid. And here, Samson, the great judge who does what's right in Samson's eyes and does what he pleases is pictured here licking the candy off his fingers that he stole from the cookie jar and hid it from mommy and daddy. And he's just playing games here, isn't he? Remember the Nazarite vow, no grapes, don't cut hair, no dead stuff. Look down at Verse 10, his father went down to the woman. This is the last we hear about his parents. And Samson prepared a feast there. For so the young men used to do. And as soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now, this is interesting. I looked into this, won't go into it a lot. But it doesn't seem that any of this stuff, as the young, man used, young men used to do, were traditions that were held by um, Samson and his family. So what's happening? What's happening is, is that... Basically, Samson is acting like he's a Philistine at this point. Verse 12, and Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. Let me ask you a, a riddle. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said, all right, put your riddle to us that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. And out of the strong came something sweet. Okay, this whole paragraph is just dripping with arrogance. I mean, the whole thing, right? So, so here's this probably drunken, debauchery-like marriage feast, okay? And then he's sitting there, you know, enjoying all of this, you know? And then, and then what? I got a riddle for you. I, Samson, have a riddle. I am the center of attention. And, and, and we know he doesn't possibly think they'll ever guess what the riddle is, right? How do we know that? Because he gambles with things that he doesn't even have. I mean, it's like me coming to you and saying, I bet you a billion, no, no, 
a gazillion dollars that you can't guess my middle name. Well, you know, I, I, I don't think you can guess this. Why? Because I don't have a gazillion dollars. But yet he's, he's doing this and he's just arrogant. And then he gets, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Seriously? You're still on the lion thing? You're still obsessing about like what you did in tearing this lion apart? I'll tell them this. They'll never guess it, and I'll gamble with stuff that I don't have. End of verse 14. And And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to, in, to impoverish us? Now they, they uh, pit his wife against him. This gets serious. Like they threaten his, his, her family and her. And it kind of shows you a little bit, uh, reminds you a little bit, what type of people we're dealing here with in the Philistines. But, but honestly... This has got to be infuriating to them. I mean, here's Samson. He struts into town like he's one of them, and he's not. And he chooses one of them to marry him like he's one of them, and he's not. And then he uses them for entertainment, embarrassing them and laughing at them. And they've had enough. Meanwhile, behind the scenes... Yahweh's picking a fight. Look at this. And, and have you invited us here to impoverish us? And, and Samson's wife wept. This actually has the idea of turned on the tears. Like Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. She would have sounded something like that. You only hate me. You do not love me. You've put a riddle to my people. Interesting. And you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father or my mother. Shall I tell you? Like he actually cared about his mom and dad. And she wept before him the seven days that the feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Women will continually be a weakness for Samson. She knows that. And she pours it on thick because of that. Um, uh, I, think, I think here he may have even liked the nagging because it made him the center of attention, didn't it? And she's like, oh, honey, you don't love me. Like, you got to tell me. And he's like, honey, I can't tell you. It's top secret Samson stuff. I cannot let you know this. Please, please stop making me the center of attention. Please stop, stop nagging me. Like, I can just picture him doing this, and she presses him hard. That, that really means there, like, she was nagging him. And, and the fact is, he actually did just keep the secret from her, too. So, obviously, he didn't trust her. He didn't trust her, so, so he doesn't trust her. She manipulates. He withholds. There's no relationship here whatsoever. This is, she is simply a conquest for him. Something else that fuels his ego and, and his desires. Then, right there in the last half of 17, then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey 
and what is stronger than a lion. (laughs) And he said to them, possibly one of the funnier verses of Scripture, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Um, Now I'm guessing whether thousands of years ago or today, not an okay way, guys, to talk to your wife. (laughs) Ever. Verse 19, and then the, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon. It's one of the five major Philistine cities. It was about 25 miles away on the coast. He went down to Ashkelon and he struck down 30 men of the town and he took their spoil and he gave the garments to those who had uh, told the riddle. And in hot anger, he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. He goes down and he slays 30 men. Seriously. But he isn't doing it to save or deliver Israel, is he? He had his ego bruised because they got the best of him and figured out his little game. And he's seeking revenge. But God is mercifully, graciously, patiently, sovereignly at work picking the fight that needs to be picked in order to eventually deliver his people and separate them out and keep them distinct and move them away from prostituting after other gods and to keep his promises to them. Meanwhile, Samson leaves and abandons his wife like a piece of property to be left behind. What in the world do we do with this text on 4th of July weekend? Right? You've got to ask that. It's like, what? This is a mess. I mean, Samson is, he's playing games. Uh, The battleground has clearly become his playground at this point. Um, In his walk with the Lord, in his mission, in his purpose, he's compromised in so many ways what was intended for him by God. But I think, I think we can see three specific areas from which we can draw application here. Um, from Samson playing games and compromising his purpose and inserting himself as the I am where only God belongs. One, first way. He shows contempt for God's commands. He shows contempt for God's commands. Contempt, uh, it means to disregard or disregard for something that should be taken into account. Disrespect for or willful disobedience. How has he done that? Well, look there, right at the beginning of the chapter. Samson went down to Timnah, saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, says, go get her for me. So right off the bat, don't intermarry, said the Lord. Don't marry them. You have to trust me. I know what's best for you. Do as I say. And what's he do? Goes down. Disobeys. What about, what about uh, halfway through here, the contact with the dead animal against his Nazarite vow? Uh, it doesn't tell us this. Um, For sure, but at this wedding feast, which were known to be these drunken feasts, okay, knowing what we know about Samson, my guess is, is probably he's partaking in that. So there's another. There's the wine part. He's doing what's right in his own eyes. Rather than consulting God or listening to wise counsel. Like, here God was pursuing him even through his parents' objection. Yet he's rash, compulsive, arrogant, 
self-seeking in his decisions, putting himself in the place of God. And he's demonstrated complete contempt for God's commands. And he's disobeying when he should be obeying. Can you imagine? Like, what if, what if he had just been faithful? What if he'd just been faithful and obeyed? Oh, the, the, the blessings from God that might have characterized his life if he would have just simply trusted God through obedience. So he shows contempt for God's command. Next, he shows contempt for God's glory. Contempt for God's glory. Uh, you remember the whole, the whole lion thing? Uh, verse 5 there and following, he goes down, the lion comes out roaring, and he slays uh, the lion. What's he do immediately after tearing this lion apart like one tears a young goat? What's he do? Uh, he immediately gets back to going and getting his Philistine wife. He says, oh, and he went down and talked to the woman. She was right in his eyes. Back to my pleasure. No, no stopping to give God the glory, no purification ritual that would have been required as the Lord had commanded, no nothing. Back to the pursuit of his wants. Um, uh, later in scripture, in, in Samuel, um, you remember the, uh, the story of David and Goliath. And, and David stands before Goliath and he says, the Lord's gonna, gonna take you down. Okay, and, uh, and I, I, uh, I struck down a lion and a bear. Okay, with my bare hands. So here's, here's, another, here's another lion slayer in David. But what's he do after that? He credits to the Lord. He says, it was the Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. And he'll deliver you also. None of that from Samson. In fact, later on, what's he do? He tells the riddle because he's still obsessed with what he has accomplished in his strength infatuated with himself, the, the little I am. And then look there at the end of the chapter. Look down there, verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. What's he do? He kills 30 Philistines. What happens after that? Does he, does he, do you see there? Does he stop? Does he give glory to God for the great victory? Nope. And in fact, he does it in his own anger and revenge. And then what's he do? He immediately steals their underwear and abandons his wife. To pay off his debt, he steals their stuff, abandons his wife, stomps away, goes back and pouts at mommy and daddy's place, having taken his revenge. He used her for his own pleasure and purposes, and he's using God for the same thing. And rather than stop and give glory and praise and worship God for his faithfulness and favor, the true warrior, instead he uses and moves on. What if? What if he would have just stopped and given God the glory? How might God have allowed him the joy in recognizing his own weakness and God's strength? So he shows contempt for God's commands. He shows contempt for God's glory. And thirdly, he shows contempt for God's purpose. He shows contempt for God's purpose, God's plan. Here, Samson has been set apart from before birth for a special purpose designated by God to begin to deliver from the Philistines. And he was sealed with a, with a vow. 
And rather than be devoted to God's purposes and plans for his life, what's he do? He shows contempt and instead pursues his own pleasure, found in his own plan, what's right in his eyes. And rather than delighting in the plan of God, God's purpose for his life, he inserts his own plan where God's plan should be. What if he'd just been devoted to God's plan? How God might have used him as a, as a willing and, and devoted vessel for his purposes. And how might he have delighted in being used by God as opposed to God having to sovereignly use him in spite of his disobedience. I think here as we get down to the end of this passage, we have to be really careful. Um, I think it would be really easy to be hard on Samson. I mean, my first response, I got done reading this, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is a mess. Like, this guy has the spirit of the Lord rushing upon him, set apart for a, for a special purpose. With, with the Lord's strength, he's unstoppable. And this is what he does with it? a joke. This dude's a mess. Are you kidding me? Uh, and I started looking back through it and it hit me that I realized I'd been <clears throat> focusing on the wrong thing. I'd been focusing on the wrong person. And, and as I went back through there, I, I saw more clearly how the Lord was sovereignly working in spite of Samson's disobedience. And I saw how God, through, through Samson's parents, was, was pursuing him. He was trying to call him back. Remember that from earlier. Come back and make that correction. Come back on course. Obey. I saw how God was fighting to deliver his people by empowering Samson for a special purpose. And when I did that, I got a glimpse into who God is. And when I saw a little bit more clearly who God was, I saw a lot more clearly who I was. And I walked away going, I'm Samson. I think there's a, a lot of wrong responses that you could have at the, at the end of this. Um, uh, I think a wrong response to this would be, um, well, that was a nice story. <laughs> or, or, man, what a dope Samson is. I mean, he is. <laughs> but, but I think that's the wrong response. Um, or, or maybe uh, the wrong response is, how could God use someone like this? I, I think we respond like this a lot, at least I know I do, because I think in, inside we see ourselves as a lot better than what we actually are in reality. Um, and we get that kind of like that put-me-in-coach type attitude. Um, we've been watching, don't judge, we've been watching uh, American Ninja Warrior with our kids uh, and they, they absolutely love it because of the obstacles and the wipeouts are really fun to watch when people miss. But it's really fascinating to watch how my kids process it differently. Like my oldest daughter and my youngest son watch it and they're like, whoa, that's impossible. Like we could never do that. They'll never make it. And then my middle daughter, Kenzie, is like, I could do that. 
And they're like, no, you couldn't. And she's like, totally could. I got strong arms. And they're like, no, that's impossible. Whatever. There's no way. Those people can't even do that. And she's like, I got it. Put me in, coach. And I think we can wrongly respond to texts like this sometimes. Like, we can look at this and say, what an idiot. And we we might not say it out loud, but we think it. Man, if I was in there, that would not have happened. I'd got it. And I think the right response at the end of a text like this is, is one, to see God rightly and to worship. And then to see ourselves rightly and repent. Oh boy, this passage smoked me this week. And I got done and I, I said, oh Lord, how often I've shown contempt for your commands. And I've disobeyed you and done what's right in my eyes and put myself into your place. I started thinking about it and I was like, oh, Lord, this is the church. This is Israel here. And I'm like, oh, how often we've shown contempt for your, for your glory. And we've lived our lives in our, in our own strength. And we, we take credit for what only you have done. Because we just wanted to get on to our next sin. Oh, how often we've shown contempt for your purpose and your plan. And we forget our God-given purpose and we pursue instead our own pleasure rather than delighting in his purpose for our life. And we treat this battleground like it's our playground. And like Samson, we simply go through life playing games. I think though too, if we just sit in that fact, in the fact that we are Samson too long, without the other side, we'll just be devastated and hopeless. I know, I mean, there are some of us here who need to hear, I am Samson. And there are some of us here I know too who are like, I get it. (laughs) I'm Samson. Oh, I, I get it. And it can, be, it can be hopeless sitting in that place. We also have to focus on who he is. There, there is hope. This is not a, a look into this text and look harder at Samson thing. This is not a look into this text and, and look harder at me thing. This is a look into this text and look harder at Christ thing. Uh, I don't know about you, but 13, it left me so hopeful. And then when we got to 14, I'm like, chapter 14, I'm like, what has happened? And I want to yell here at the end. I want to scream into the text. I want to scream, Israel, Samson's not the deliverer you need. Like, I've read it. (laughs) There's a better deliverer coming. Hold on. And I think this morning on Independence Weekend... I think I need to scream the same thing into our lives and say, harvest. You are not the deliverer you need. A better deliverer has come. Harvest more stuff 
a, a spouse, a different spouse, a health, a job, a place, a church, children, others. They are not the deliverers you need. A better deliverer has come. The true deliverer has come. Why, why does it surprise us that this story is a mess? <laughs> it's messy. And yet, it's beautiful and hopeful because we're a mess. Samson is a mess. I'm a mess. Newsflash, you're a mess. We're all messed up. But God is perfect and faithful to his promises. He is sovereign. He's warrior. He's pursuer. And he entered into this mess to save us for his glory. And through his spirit dwelling in us, he's working in us and through us for his glory and for the completion of his perfect plan. Our mess doesn't surprise him. There's hope at the foot of the cross. So what do we do this week? What do we do this week? This week, when you're tempted to disobey and to show contempt for God's commands, instead, choose to obey. Choose to make war against your sin while resting in the fact that as a Christian, by grace, through faith, you've been united with Jesus who perfectly obeyed when we could not and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And in our union with him, he empowers us to have victory over our sin for freedom. He has set us free. This week, when, when tempted to show contempt for God's glory and to take credit for yourself or to tackle whatever in your own power and rob him of the glory that is only his. Remember, you've been united with the one who came into the world for the glory of God and who glorified him perfectly in accomplishing his mission on the cross. This week when tempted to show contempt for God's purpose and God's plan by pursuing your own pleasure rather than his purposes, delight delight in the fact that Christ was faithful in his mission and look to him who died for us all that we might no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for our sake and was raised. The right response I believe to a text like this is to see who he is and to see who we are and when we see who we are we re that we have so often inserted ourselves into the place where only he belongs. And when we see who he is, rightly, we stop and we worship him as the only true sovereign warrior and pursuer. Father, Forgive us. Forgive us for so often um, inserting ourselves where only you belong. 
And at the same time, Lord, thank you for, for being everything that we can't be. Thank you that you offer hope in the cross of Christ. And it is to that this week that we ask you, Lord, to help us to look. We, we ask that you would help us to make war on our sin while looking to you, the perfect one. And we thank you for in the cross accomplishing everything that we could not and offering hope that we now rejoice in, Lord. You are sovereign in the midst of our mess. Thank you. You are warrior fighting on our behalf when we are so weak. You are the pursuer when we so often get off the path that you have for us and you cry out to us, Lord, come back. Thank you. We love you. We worship at the foot of the cross today. In Jesus' name, amen.